The Dalai Lama has said, to be contented human beings, we need trust and friendship. And I hear so much of that in your candle sharing this morning, a sense of trust and friendship. This is about interconnectedness today. And it's interesting to me, I'm always looking for how the divine speaks through me and to me. And uh, this morning's quote in your handout, the very center of your heart is where life begins. The most beautiful place on earth is a Rumi quote, as is the initial song, the call to worship song, come, come, whoever you are. So apparently Rumi is going to speak with us this morning. So we welcome his divine and loving presence. Hazel, thank you for your, your beautiful story. It's awesome. I want to share with you a story this morning from the New Testament, but I want you to think of Jesus as a rabbi, a rabbinical authority, and as humanist, not as uh, some believe to be the Son of God, um, when I share the story with you. And it starts off with this fundamental question, who really is my neighbor? And Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell victim to robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went off leaving him half dead. Now, by coincidence, a priest was getting down the road, but when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. And likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the opposite side. But a certain Samaritan traveling the road came upon him, and at seeing him, he was moved with pity and, in some translations, compassion. So he approached him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine upon them, then he mounted him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever you spend besides this, I will repay you when I return. Who of these three seems to you to have made himself the neighbor? Thank you again for having me here. I'm honored and humbled to be before you. Trust matters. That could be the entire sermon right there, and I could sit down. But I <laughs> probably have to explain myself a little bit to just give some context. But the truth is, trust matters. Um, in retelling the story, in summary, that story is 2,000 years old and told in 33 A.D., and as we heard, Jesus describes a man who is robbed and injured, and a Samaritan comes along from Samaria. The Samaritan, having compassion, tends to the injured man, provides medical aid. And having been a paramedic, it is easy for me to imagine how traumatizing and frightening this experience must have been for that injured man. It may have taken him a few moments before he could appreciate that the Samaritan, unlike those who passed him by, had concern and regard for him. And seeing how the Samaritan has compassion and the medical skills to care for him, the injured man quickly chooses to trust the Samaritan's intentions and allowed him to assist him further by bringing him to an inn to continue his care. And as we heard, the Samaritan makes arrangements for the innkeeper to care for him and will reimburse him upon his return. Three people brought together by circumstances need to rely on each other for one man's healing and well-being. And beneath that reliance is the trust the injured man has towards the Samaritan because he found him to be trustworthy. The Good Samaritan story, amongst others, is a story about trust and human interconnectedness. Fast forward, but go back in history to 1963. In his letter from Birmingham jail, Dr. Martin Luther King wrote, and I quote, In a real sense, all life is interrelated. 
all, and he put the word men, I'll change that to people, are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. He continues on, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. Dr. King speaks about interconnectedness. In 1987, the journal Nature published a study in which research geneticists concluded that based on DNA, every person can trace his or her lineage back 200,000 years to a female African ancestor that they called mitochondrial Eve. Remember Dr. King's words, all people, all of us are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Through her DNA, mitochondrial Eve connects billions of humans in an inescapable network of mutuality and interconnectedness. At the very core of mutuality and human interconnectedness is trust, and that's why it matters. It is the cornerstone of relationships. It guides all of our interactions. Why? Because a spiritual teacher, Von Sant, notes trust grows from the need to be safe, to belong, and to survive. You and I and all of humanity are more than our mitochondrial Eve DNA connections. We share a common human destiny in which we are all dependent in some way, shape, or form upon one another for our very survival. Just think about the first day of your life and then each day since. Who provided and still provides for your daily basic needs, such as food, shelter, and clothing? I think my shirt this morning said made in Vietnam. Think about that. We share a life that is more, however, than the physical needs. Life is about our hopes and our dreams. It is about our love, our meaning and purpose. It is about exploring and living out within the context of mutuality, three distinct relationships, a relationship to ourselves, a relationship to others, and a relationship with creation and the energy of the universe that many people call God. We discover our capacity to trust the very moment we are born and how our needs are met or not met. In his eight stages of development, Eric Erickson, you may remember him, named this first part of our lives trust versus mistrust because the journey starts with a cry and a need to have that cry satisfied. Someone has to interpret my cry. Am I crying because of discomfort? Am I wet, cold, hungry, or in pain? Am I crying for comfort because I want touch and warmth or closeness? Erickson demonstrated that if an infant's needs are consistently met with love and care, a sense of security happens over time, leading to feelings of trust and of hope. Trust is highly developed belief in people based on their conclusions and experiences which we interpret as fact within our own context of reality. We value trustworthy people. Why? Because they tend to hold us in high regard. Their intention is not to harm us. We feel safe. They show care and compassion. Their verbal and nonverbal language leaves one feeling safe and secure. A trustworthy person is generally truthful, respectful, authentic, good and honest, reliable, non-judgmental, and forgiving. A trustworthy person tends to align with our own 
moral or ethical values. And there is mutual respect when there are differences. They honor commitments and promises in a timely manner and keep their interests as well as our own when making decisions. They can energize us and dispel anxiety and fear. There are many factors we consider when deciding to trust one another or even ourselves. Our relationship experiences, our thoughts, our feelings, our prior experiences of trust and mistrust, our beliefs, our biases, our prejudices, our values, and our confidences. We all have various ways in which we decide on whom we judge as trustworthy. I'd like to imagine, uh, help me here, imagine a scale in front of you, trust on one end and mistrust on the other, and everything falls in between those parameters. And each scale is unique to ourselves. So when I throw out some words, I want you to think about that scale and where you'd put somebody. So let me throw some words out to you. Doctor. Nurse. Contractors. <laughs> right? Some are here, some are there, and some are in the middle. Bankers. Lawyers. Teachers. Ministers. Presidents. International leaders. Police officers. Firefighters. Emergency responders. You see what I'm saying? Within your mind, we had an automatic, where do I trust that person? Let's get a little more personal. Your neighbors. And who of your neighbors? Your friends. Your relatives. Your siblings. Your partners. Your parents. Your children. And so on. No matter what relationship, and we could go on for, for a week, you have a trust value assigned to that person. And I believe that trust value is determined first and foremost about a sense of safety. And a sense, secondly, that that person has good intentions for you. Think about the Good Samaritan. We can say he is honorable and caring. We can say his intentions are good. He dispels anxiety and fear. His medical care inspires confidence. He provides for the injured man from a place of compassion. The human connectedness between both men transcends their cultural and theological differences. We would declare the Good Samaritan to be trustworthy. As a chaplain, it's interesting to me, I often meet people who not only have had difficult trusting others, but they have difficulty trusting themselves. And when I listen to someone who does not trust themselves, they share life experiences in which they have a loss of confidence in themselves or those experiences have left them feeling shame, humiliation, and inadequacy. It is very difficult to be in relationships when we have a hard time trusting ourselves or others. In her book, Trust, Mastering the Four Essential Truths, the Trust in Self, I'm sorry, Mastering the Four Essential Trusts, the Trust in Self, the Trust in God, Trust in Others, Trust in Life, Van Sant writes this, Learning to trust is one of life's most difficult lessons. That's because trust is not a verb, it is a noun. But what if the real problem is not, not that we can't trust other people, but what if we can't trust ourselves? And she lists three reasons I think are important to share with you today. We are often taught when we don't trust ourselves, this is the message we get, our feelings are not authentic or true. And this creates self-doubt. We mistrust 
ourselves when we compare what we feel inside with what other people are saying or thinking. And there's this incongruent connection, and we begin to believe the other voice instead of our own truth. And we undermine ourselves in the way we respond to others by our need to be in control. And control is a fear and anxiety-driven response, oftentimes of mistrust. We don't trust, and therefore we seek to avoid vulnerability and mutuality by being in control. Trusting others is difficult when childhood needs are not met or when there's abuse, neglect, or rejection. Imagine being so wounded by others that it is simply not safe to feel vulnerable and interconnected. Prolonged mistrust or mistrust of others leads to a, a bevy, a host of behavioral disorders, especially around anxiety and fear that result in isolation, suspicion, paranoia, and cynicism. So what happens when mistrust is directed towards a particular institution or religion or group or race or culture or a particular population of people? Human interaction and interconnection is broken. People are set apart literally and figuratively. Individuals or groups are attacked, they're separated, and they're isolated. Mistrust on this level is insidious and incredibly harmful to all of humanity and our interconnectedness. Think about how many events are happening in our country and worldwide this morning. Just think about how many topics you've heard in your five-minute news brief this morning that all center on mistrust. Think of the Venezuelan borders right now, that profound sense of mistrust and the harm where people are dying of starvation. That's to the extent it's insidious. In the Good Samaritan story, do you remember the two men that passed by the injured man? One was a Levite, and the other one was a Jewish priest. Given their titles, they would have been well familiar with the Torah, the first five books of the, of the, uh, the Bible, the Tanakh. In the Torah, it is written in the book of Leviticus, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your enemy, love your neighbor, excuse me, as yourself, for I am the Lord. And going back to what Rabbi Jesus was talking about, he was trying to make the point that the Lord's commandment to love your neighbor as yourself was not honored by the priest and the Levite. They did not see themselves as interconnected with the injured man or feel that that single garment of destiny applied to them, even though they were on the same road. The rabbi's point is that all of humanity is our neighbor, period. Trusting others is not easy. I know each of us has had a trust broken at some point. Think about what happened when your trust in another was broken or violated. I suspect how you handled it was dependent upon many factors. For example, mistrust as a result of some type of, and I'm going to use the word here intentionally, betrayal. People feel betrayed for a variety of reasons. Betrayal could be a result of a poor choice of words, a failed commitment to do something, being taken advantage of, and, of course, infidelity. Though we all have only so much tolerance for betrayal, generally speaking, within trusting healthy relationships, there exists the capacity for healing betrayal. But there are a few conditions that must be met. There needs to be a mutual sense of caring and understanding between people. There is genuine remorse and the opportunity for forgiveness to be received. And there is a sense of safety. I have shared trust in the context of our relationship with ourselves and others, 
But what about the, extens- the existential question of trusting that sacred energy, the God? You need to trust to have faith. Faith is a belief or an assurance without proof or fact, yet it relies on a sense of the factual nature of trust. Faith is not about a specific belief in as much as it is about attitudes and decisions that shape life from minute to minute. Faith and trust go hand in hand. Let me give you an example. So years ago, I was a chaplain for all of, I think, three months. It was going to become a very short career that day when I met a Jamaican woman in a pediatric unit. And I will tell you that God called me to see her. This little boy's name literally jumped off the list in front of me. It just became bigger. And I saw it as a divine invitation. So I went to go see this family. The little boy's sleeping. The mother was very um, distant, polite, but distant. And I said, look, if you need me to come back and pray with your son at any point, just call me. Let me know. We were happy to come back. Got to the office, and she called me. She said, would you come pray over my son? Praying over and praying with is very different in my world. One evokes healing. The other one's evoking the divine. So it took me six hours to catch up with that little man. He was all over our hospital, all sorts of tests. And when I found the family, they were in the MRI machine. We don't put three-year-olds in an MRI machine clinically unless there's something really wrong. So I knew clinically there was something wrong. So I said to mom, I said, you know, what does this illness mean to you? It's a great question to ask somebody. Tell me what this means to you. Remember meaning and purpose. She says this, where I come from, she came from Jamaica, people I saw do what my son did, are possessed with an evil spirit, and he needs an exorcism. It was 3 o'clock. I said, well, 3.30 work for you. We'll do one at 3.30. Haven't done one before, but I figured I got a half hour to figure it out. (laughs) Whip that out of my back pocket. Okay. I'm game. So she said, yes, you do that. I said, absolutely. So I knew at 3.30 he would be in the PACU, which is the recovery area, because he was sedated. So I let that. Now I've been here three months. This is my short career. It's ending this day, but I'm going to go out with a blaze of glory. So I went to the OR and said, hey, by the way, we're coming to do an exorcism about 3.30. Just don't need anything. Just need the space to come and pray with the boy. I get there with 20 employees lined up against the wall. I mean, they, I kid you not. True story. They must have called everybody from the OR and said, come watch this little kid. He's going <laughs> to... Right? Remember Linda Blair, exorcism? They're waiting for the show, right? (laughs) So um, Christian woman uh, believes in Jesus, so I used her theology, her structure, to do the exorcism. And I relied on prayer. I relied on some other history of exorcism ritual and relied on a reading. Um, Did this whole experience there. And the little boy woke up, looked. It was really strange. He woke up, he looked at me, he looked at his mother, went back to sleep. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. Don't know how it happened, but it was cool. So I thanked the mother for the opportunity. She goes back at 4 o'clock, I get the phone call. What did you do to this mother? That was the call. Thinking, yep, going to be employed at 4.30. <laughs> Unemployed at 4.30. I said, I don't know what you mean. What's going on? Well, she's cooperative. She wants to engage with her son's medical care. What did you do? Well, I said, I did an exorcism, but apparently it worked for her and not for him. <laughs> I just had... True story. He still he left with his tumor in his brain, benign, by the way, and he will do fine with medication. Um, but yeah, she was she was transformed. Why? Because she trusted. She put her faith on the line. Trusted me. She didn't tell anybody. I was the first person she told about why she would not engage with the team. And that's where, to me, it's a great example where trust and faith kind of go hand in hand. 
But when we believe in something, it requires a faithful response. Faith is all, faith to me is the verb. You know, trust is the noun, faith is the verb. Um, Psalm, six, um, Psalm 86 in the Old Testament says, guard my life, so it's a prayer to, uh, to God, guard my life, for I am faithful to you, save your servant who trusts in you, you are my God. So trusting and having faith in God means that all shall be well despite life's tragedies. And that's tough. That's where the rubber meets the road. I meet a lot of people, it's not going well, and they have a tremendous amount of faith. And they begin to doubt, and they begin to question, and they begin to wonder. Trust itself has a profound ability to affect our hope, hope defined as a realistic belief in something that is in our future. So think of heaven, you know, all our belief in, in our afterlife. Think about Erickson again, and that little infant. Think about me, I'm crying, right? So I'm hoping that everybody's going to answer my, my cry. What happens over time is I begin to trust as an infant that if I cry, my needs will be met. Somewhere along our developmental world, we begin to then anticipate the future, that if I cry in the future, if I'm hungry later on today, I'm going to have that need met. So trust and faith and hope are all intertwined in some really amazing ways. In, the, uh, in Romans, in the New Testament, uh, Paul writes regarding the Christian tradition that trust is an attitude of hopefulness about life, a sense that the power of love is the greatest power, and that in respect to trust, he says, we can never be separated from the love of God, for love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. But with due respect to faith, it isn't always about God. And it doesn't always go well. Thomas More says, faith is not a sentimental self-assurance that everything will turn out okay in the end. But instead, he says this, a trust that the mysteries which shroud us ultimately will have meaning. We do believe that whatever we place our, our faith or trust in, it will help us, whether it's a person, an ideal, or the creature's sacred world, God, Hashem, Brahma, Krishna, Jesus, Buddha, and so on. The discovery of how one trusts and has faith in themselves, one another, and or a philosophy or God is often experienced in the faith community. Why community? Because a community is built by people caring for each other, such as yourselves. A community is about relationship. Everyone takes responsibility for the community, and there are goals and values that are embraced, and you have seven principles that you embrace. And let me quote, you join together not because you have a shared concept of the divine. Rather, you gather knowing that life is richer in community than when you go it alone. You gather to be known and to know, to comfort and to be comforted, to celebrate the mystery that binds us each to all. And that is your statement. That is your creed. That's awesome. You are a diverse, interconnected community, a community of faith that recognizes an individual's spiritual journey towards a common good. And in the midst of your diversity, there's a commonality of shared purpose, beliefs, commitments, a sense of hospitality and welcoming, and an overall sense of gratitude and appreciation for the imperfections of your community. Each of you comes with the expectation that your dignity, your beliefs, your values will all be respected and honored. UU is a place of welcoming and maintaining trust within a diversity of your community is mission critical for you. Trust must be woven into that, here's that quote again, single garment of destiny that King speaks of, the very fabric and bedrock of who you are. 
Trust matters to you, you. The Unitarian Universalist Association's Tapestry of Faith program. Are you familiar with that for adults? Right. Um, so apparently you have a great program out there, uh, education program called Tapestry of Faith Program for Adults that has a workshop that explores the, the concept of relationship-centered trust. It was amazing to read through the material. For the program says, trust is the foundational, fundamental cornerstone of healthy relationships and intimately connected to UU's second guiding principle of justice, equity, and compassion in human relationships. And you heard that in the Good Samaritan story, the very connectedness right there. Trust matters. A trusting community requires and promotes mutuality, vulnerability, love, caring, authenticity, and a sense of truthfulness that fosters feelings of safety. A trusting community is a sacred place and a sacred space where honesty, respect, tolerance, appreciation, forgiveness, and graciousness are highly valued. A trusting community is a community of positivity. So much laughter here today. In her book, Positivity, Barbara Fredrickson shares this, this thought, that positivity and trust feed each other. As positivity grows, so does our trust in others, and vice versa, because positivity creates a sense of oneness with others. She goes on to say that positivity creates a sense that there is in step with our own feelings of joy, gratitude, love, and the like. I want to leave you two quotes today. First one is from the Buddha, where the Buddha says, Peace is not the absence of war. It is a virtue, a state of mind, a disposition for love, honesty, and trustworthiness. My second quote is from Baha'u'llah, the leader of the Baha'i faith. He says this, Trustworthiness is, in truth, the best of, of the best of vestures for your temple, here you are in temple, and the most glorious crown for your heads. Trustworthiness is the greatest portal leading unto the tranquility and security of the people. In truth, the stability of every affair hath depended and doth depend on it. All the domains of power of grandeur and of wealth are illuminated by its light. Yes, my sisters and brothers, trust matters. Shalom. <laughs>